the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Don't have time to go on SoCal Live today? Leave Scott a voicemail at 213-537-3812. That's 213-537-3812. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Southern California Live. I'm Scott Furrow, your host. Great to be with you today as we are each and every day from 3 to 5, each and every weekday from 3 to 5 right here on your favorite radio station. And I look forward to being with you each and every day. And that time period. You know, one of the things that happens in our life for a lot of us is we get married and, you know, getting married is is great, but it comes along with a lot of challenges sometimes that are not expected. With me to talk about these things is Bob Lapine. Bob Lapine is best known to radio and podcast listeners as the longtime co-host of Family Life Today and as the on-air announcer for Truth for Life with Alistair Begg. Bob is the teaching pastor at Redeemer Community Church in Little Rock, Arkansas. He's also the author of a new book called Building a Stronger Marriage, The Path to Oneness. Also the author of Four Emotions of Christmas, Love Like You Mean It, and um, the heart, or Love Like You Mean It, The Heart of a Marriage That Honors God and the Christian Husband. Bob and his wife, Mary Ann, have five children and ten grandchildren. And some of you may know him best as he has been a regular guest host of this show over the past year. And maybe you've seen him in person at your local Cheesecake Factory. Welcome, Bob Lapine, to Southern California Live. Scott, great to be on with you. Thanks for having me. It is great to be with you. How's it going at the uh, Cheesecake Factory these days? You know, I'm making sure that uh, that my orders are delivered correctly and uh, on time, and I'm making sure that I take nothing home with me other than what I'm able to carry on my person. <laughs> that makes that makes sense. Well, you may not realize it. That that could be another book for you one day, the Cheesecake Pastor or something. You could be something. Yeah, this like is that. all related to a quest that I'm on to eat at every Cheesecake Factory location in America. I'm currently up to location number 141. So. Uh, yeah, the quest continues. <laughs> you know, I'm on a quest to go to all the presidential libraries, but there's only 15 of those uh, or something. I, you know, I've got a ways to go. So you've been to 141 Cheesecake Factories. Um, what's your favorite? Uh, you know, honestly, it's uh, Marina Del Rey, the one that's right on the water there in, in ah. Marina Del Rey. That's when, when, I, when I fly into LAX, I'm, I'm this close to Marina Del Rey. So I try to get a long layover so I can get to the Cheesecake Factory. You know, lots of people, when they come from out of state, they the first thing they do is they go to the In-N-Out by uh, LAX. But uh, you go straight for that Cheesecake Factory. Good for you. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> well, thank you for being on our program. And uh, I know that our listeners are excited to hear from you. And you've been on this show so much. And everybody uh, was blessed uh, by your teaching and the way you were able to bring uh, so much of the gospel and grace and great stories uh, and advice to people uh, through our show and also through all the other things that you have been doing. So we appreciate that very much. 
well, it's been a joy to to have that opportunity and be able to connect and to team up with you. And, of course, you've been doing a great job since you took the helm full time uh, several months ago. But uh, over the years, over the months that we worked together, uh, kind of dividing the labor, it was it was a real privilege and a real joy. I look forward to it every day. It was. That's why I know about the cheesecake thing. That was uh I just loved that whole thing. So 141, you should have a celebration when you get to 150. <laughs> I, there will be one, trust me. Yeah, There's actually, a time I go these days. Cheesecake Factory should do that for you uh, <laughs> once you're there. All right. Well, well, I've had the opportunity. You should know this. I've had the opportunity to actually go to the factory in Calabasas and be able to see where the cheesecakes are made there in Calabasas. So I, I told them when I was up there, I said, some people want to come to Southern California to go to Disney World. I want to come and see the cheesecakes get made. So there's, it was it was the highlight for me. There's an actual factory in Calabasas where they make those. That's amazing. That's right. Yep. Yeah. All right. Well, you know, sometime when you're in town, I will. I would love to take you to a cheesecake factory that you've never been to, if there is one in Southern California. We'll, we'll have to dig because I've been to uh, almost all of them in Southern Oxnard. I haven't been to Oxnard, so you and I can head up there. We, def- we definitely should go to Oxnard, and when you do, I'll get you my favorite Oxnard bumper sticker that says "Oxnard, more than a beautiful name." <laughs> my my grandmother lived in Oxnard and had one of those, and it was all, I've just loved it. She thought that was the funniest thing. <laughs> hey, so how is ministry going for you these days? We live in a very strange time, don't we? We really do, and it's it's. Uh, I, I think one of the the most challenging things in in working as a pastor, which I've been doing for fifteen years now, uh, going through navigating both the the COVID years and the political climate of the last two years. Uh, that's that's been a real leadership challenge to try to keep people focused on the, the centrality of the gospel and the message of Christ in a culture that's trying to, uh, to take us in all kinds of different directions and have us thinking about different things and having us divided between one another. So it's it's uh, my spiritual muscles have gotten a workout over the last couple of years. And yet I'm grateful for how I've seen God at work in that and for the unity that has been preserved in our our local fellowship and for people who seem hungry for uh, hearing the Bible taught clearly. And, and that's my passion is to try to make the Bible as clear and as relevant as I can every Sunday. You know, I think that is, uh, I think that's really key because we see this division, not just in the culture, but we've seen it in the church over the past couple of years. It has been a, a leadership challenge and you really see uh, how how important leadership is, but also how important I found biblical teaching actually is. Well, and I've come back over and over again to Second Timothy chapter 2, where Paul is coaching his protege in the faith, Timothy, who's a, a young pastor, and he says, Stay away from quarrels and and uh, strife and controversy, which only serves to divide. And then he says, and the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but must be able to teach, must be kind to everyone, patiently enduring evil. And I've just I've looked at that. I mean, even even that patiently enduring evil. I, I read that and I think this is a high standard that we're called to, and yet 
it's the it's the ministry of the gospel. Jesus suffered much more than any of us has ever had to suffer. And so if we experience light and momentary afflictions in the work that God's called us to, it's producing a, an eternal weight of glory in our souls, and we press on, right? That's exactly right. That's a good word right there, too, because I, I feel like people might be uh, frustrated with this time of of evil, but we've got to patiently endure it and trust the Lord. Right. Yeah. You're listening to Southern California Live. I'm Scott Furrow. My guest is Bob Lapine. Bob Lapine is the author of a new book um, that is called Building a Stronger Marriage, The Path to Oneness. You know, in in all of this, we were talking about division in our culture. Uh, Some of that division we've seen in our own families. We've seen it um, and I think it hit the division. You've probably seen this in your church and ministry I think it took a lot of people by surprise that that the political division or just even family divisions are occurring because of political thought or things that people didn't expect. Yeah, there are conversations that will be avoided at the Thanksgiving dinner table here in a few weeks, mm-hmm. and uh, some families looking at getting together for Christmas and anticipating division or tension. And I think, again, this is just where we have to be able to uh, to look at loved ones and say, we're going to focus on what matters most, which is our relationship with one another, uh, a shared commitment to the gospel. And, and you might say, well, my kids don't believe the gospel anymore. All right, well, if you had an unbeliever over for dinner, how would you interact with that unbeliever? Would you Would you lash out or would you find a way to be kind to that person? Do that with your kids or whoever it is that's the unbeliever in your family. I, I, I think... Uh, Jim Burns, who I, I think you know there in Southern California, yeah. who wrote a book about doing life with your adult children. And I love the subtitle, which was, Keep the Welcome Mat Out and Keep Your Mouth Shut. <laughs> and I think we have to have that kind of an approach as we look at family interaction in a divisive culture. And when it comes to marriage, Scott, and you know this from your pastoral background, uh, it does take couples by surprise when they find out in a marriage that there is separation, there's distance, there's growing isolation, they didn't expect that. It didn't seem to be happening while they were dating. And so now they're kind of blindsided when they get into marriage and go, why am I feeling isolated or alienated or distant from you? And that's really why I wanted to write a book that would be a guidebook to help couples who are starting to experience that drift away from one another to help them diagnose the issue and help them come back to where their marriage is is supposed to be, what God had designed for them in marriage. You know, well, I think that is one of the, the great things about uh, your new book is that you address things that are later on down the road, where things that people don't expect, and I think we don't talk about it enough, the impact of experiences that we carry in our, our family of origin, as you call it, and how those things affect our marriage, but we don't notice it till later. How do we recognize those things in our relationships that are that are brewing, that are there, but maybe we don't see it until it becomes a source of conflict? Well, I think what happens it, it's like uh, it's, it's like your car. You're driving one day, and you notice something is just not feeling right. There's a rattle, or there's a the, the steering wheel feels loose, or it, it, it just doesn't feel right. And you think, I need to get this checked out, rather than just continuing to drive and hope that it fixes itself. Uh, We do a better job doing preventive maintenance on our vehicles than we do doing preventive maintenance on our marriages. And so couples who have 
put 10,000 miles or 20,000 miles on a marriage and think there's a rattle here and I'm not sure what to do with it. And they don't know where the mechanic is to go try to get help. They often just limp along and hope that it will get better. And this is where I think whether it's a book or a conference or a time with a counselor or time with your pastor, uh, I'm, I'm meeting tonight with a couple in our church who called me a few weeks ago and said, we just feel like we need a tune-up. And I said, good for you. First of all, good for you in recognizing the issues and not just saying, well, let's not tell anybody because that would be embarrassing or shameful, but let's get some help and let's try to get get a tune-up. So we're going to sit down and talk about where the rough spots in their marriage are. And, and one of the things, you mentioned family of origin, one of the things we'll talk about is uh, how issues, we, we, all of us learned how to get along with other people in our family of origin. We learned what relationships are supposed to look like, how to communicate, either for better or for worse. I mean, if you grew up in a home where all that happened was your your mom and dad shouted at you, then what you learned growing up is that's what you do. When you get in yep. a position of power or authority, you shout at other people. So we have these patterns that we bring into marriage without even recognizing it. And when they start to show up in a marriage, we can take one another by surprise in how we're relating to each other. I think that's one of the challenges is to, even when they come up, to recognize that I'm responding the way I'm responding or my spouse is responding the way she's responding, not you know, because that's something that she's just always done, that she hears things differently. You know, Christy and I have, right. have dealt with that, too. It's like, why are you responding this way? You know, how do we how do we you know, do you have an example of you know things that maybe people carry along? You said uh, sometimes, a, you know, a family grows up uh, and yelling each, at each other is the normal thing. Uh, what yeah. are some other things that maybe are even more subtle that people bring into relationships that that come out eventually? Well, I was with a couple. This was several months ago, and we were talking about frustrations. And I remember this wife saying to me, she said, my husband does this all the time and it drives me crazy it just it's it's so frustrating and then she said something really interesting she said my brother when i was growing up used to do the same thing and it drove me crazy back then and i thought okay so what we have here is something that your brother did that annoyed you now let's talk about how you see your husband doing the same thing and it turned out her husband wasn't really doing the same thing her brother had always been critical with her, had always been harsh with her, had always said said things to her like, you don't know what you're doing, you're stupid. And now her husband was coming along and he was saying, you know, have you ever thought about doing this this way? Hmm. And what she heard was the echo of her brother going, you don't know what you're doing, you're stupid. And it was just, it was provoking some of those old scars and those old memories. And, and that's where I think we can get blindsided and, and not realize our frustration is maybe not even with our spouse. It, it, that just happens to be the person closest to us that's getting near an old wound or, or an, old, an old damaged area. And, and we, we're all of a sudden provoked without even realizing why. I had uh, somebody one time, she was talking about the couple was just having lots of arguments about stuff. And she finally realized that in her family, they blamed each other for, they worked hard to not take responsibility for anything. That was their family way. Right. And the funny thing she said is she says, I, I was home alone and I dropped a glass bowl that was full of salad I had just prepared and it broke and it shattered everywhere. 
And she said, I realized that maybe I have the problem because before the bowl even hit the ground, I was finding a way in my mind to blame my husband for it. Oh, <laughs> isn't I, that it? It was yeah. really an interesting revelation for, and that helped them um, a lot through this. You know, well, Bob, and, and this this is a this is a small illustration. Uh, it, it it's not anything that that turned into a big deal. But the first weekend we were married, uh, Marianne and I had dated for four years. So we kind of knew each other's habits and patterns, yeah. and we'd, we, we'd just seen all of how we get along. And one of the things we knew was Friday nights, if we were together on Friday nights, we would, we'd stay out late or we'd stay up talking. And uh, by the time we said goodnight, it was midnight or one in the morning. And I would say to Marianne, why don't we get together for lunch tomorrow? And so I'd go home and I'd go to bed. And on Saturday morning, I would sleep. I would sleep till it was 10 or 11. I was in college, you know, Saturday yeah. morning, you just sleep in. Well, when we got married, the first Saturday morning that we're married, my wife woke up, I think that morning at 630. She goes out into the kitchen of the house, and she's taking care of things. By the time it's nine o'clock, she's been up for two and a half hours. She's bored. She's ready to get the day going. And her husband's still asleep in the bedroom. Well, she, she comes in and she raises the shades. I'm thinking, well, what is she doing? Raising, I'm sleeping. It's Saturday morning. I, this is what I do. And that had been our pattern. But I remember us talking about it later. And she said, you know, my dad on Saturday mornings when I was growing up, he would always get up and get right into a, a list of projects for the day. And so she just had in the back of her mind that her, high, her college boyfriend was somehow going to uh, develop new patterns when when we got married and instead of being in bed on Saturday morning I'd be up with a to-do list and we had to we had to figure out how we were going to resolve that and, and work all of that out those are some of the the subtle things from our family of origin that we can carry into our marriage relationship that is a that's such a great story i think a lot of people you know you get you dated you said 4 years and uh you, but you don't learn that kind of thing uh, no, not until you're married. There's so much, yeah. there's so much you don't know. Right. And here's what we do: it in the gap areas where we don't know how somebody's going to react, we assume that they will react the best way possible or our preferred way. Yeah. And then when we get into marriage and we start to experience some of those gap areas and go, oh, they're not acting how I thought they were going to act, and that's when we start to go, what's wrong here, and what's wrong with him, or what's wrong with me. Uh, those are the kinds of things. And, and this is where I'm hoping uh, the book, which you, you've seen it, Scott, it's it's 100 pages long and it's 17 chapters. So it's a bunch of short chapters. I'm hoping couples will get this and have 17 date nights and go out and read through the four pages that make up one chapter and then do the discussion questions that are at the end and maybe do some of the fine tuning necessary on their marriage relationship and start to patch up some of the things, some of those wobbles that have started to happen in their marriage. If you just tuned in, my guest is Bob Lapine, and this is Southern California Live, and he's referring to his brand new books called Building a Stronger Marriage, The Path to Oneness. You know, you talked about how you were dating for four years. Do you have advice? I thought maybe what we can do is talk about things that people should try to talk about while they're dating when they're serious, but then also to have an expectation that there's just stuff that's going to come up later. 
and why you still yeah. have to date your spouse. You know, if if people are listening and they're in a dating relationship right now, they're thinking of getting married, you know, maybe they've talked about it or maybe in the back of their mind they're thinking this is coming. Um, what are some things that people could actually talk about during, uh, you know, their engagement or right as they're building up to it? What do you think? Yeah, there are some critical, important conversations, and this is where I think good premarital counseling is essential mm. for couples. There are actually, I think there's some great books out that have got lists of questions in them to talk about everything from the very practical. I think it's good to ask questions like, in your home, um, who was responsible for overseeing the finances? Mm. When you were growing up, was that mom or dad that did that? In your home, who took out the trash? Who did the yard work? who did the dishes. And and part of the reason you ask what it was like in your family of origin is because there's just a natural expectation that that's how all families do it. Yeah. And so we're starting to figure out what's it going to be like in our family? What are the things what what are the things that you hope to do that you that you enjoy doing that you're good at doing? I mean, Marianne learned pretty quickly that organizing a closet is not on my spiritual gift list, you know? <laughs> And I would, she would say, could you kind of straighten up the mess on your half of the closet? And I would go in and stare at it and go, what do I, what do I do? How do you straighten up a mess in here? I'm not sure. I'd just start moving one pile right. to another place in the closet. And finally, she was like, let, let me do this. And she would come in. She'd get it in great shape. And I'd go, That's a, how did you even know how to do that? That's amazing. And she goes, how could you not know how to do that? Right. I mean, ever, so we have to recognize we all bring different strengths and, and weaknesses into a marriage. We can we can serve one another, but but I think to your point, the questions that it's good for us to talk about are questions related to practical issues like who's going to be responsible for automobile maintenance and yard work. It's also good to talk about um, our our emotional backgrounds. Mm. I, one of the things I talk about in the book is is uh, how trauma from our childhood can can be a factor that that uh, shows up later on in our marriage. Most of us have experienced things in childhood that if they weren't, if if they weren't traumatic, they were at least wounding. And to know where those sore spots are and to know how those affect us in a marriage relationship, those are just good conversations to be able to have. They are. Bob, I got to take a break. Can you stay with us through the break? Absolutely. All right. And when we come back, I want to talk about that and some of the the harder issues, maybe issues of trauma or even issues of sin that are in the background of our our life that maybe we thought weren't a big deal when we got married, but they they sort of creep around. And I know you address some of that uh, in your book and in your teaching. My guest is Bob Lupine. He's the author of uh, Building a Stronger Marriage, The Path to Oneness. And we'll be right back with Bob Lapine. You're listening to Southern California Live. I'm Scott Furrow. We'll be back as the Thursday edition continues. This is SoCal Live with Scott Furrow on 99.5 KKLA. Join the conversation now by texting Scott in the SoCal Live studio at 213-537-3812. What's up, guys? I've been happily married for 18 years to this beautiful woman. And I've been told that in marriage... There are two things that you most often fight about, sex and money. But that's not true. I'm here to tell you the one thing that you're going to most often fight about is twist ties. Whether or not you save them, whether or not they go back on the bread, just that and emptying the dishwasher. The reality is that's what you're actually going to fight about most. So, so like 
enjoy your money and sex, but dishwashers and twist ties are going to be the issue. Wow. <laughs> that is a famous uh, uh, person on TikTok who gives uh, marriage advice, and most of the time he's just joking around. He does it with his wife, and it's very, very funny. And he makes a great point that, that often the things that we struggle with in marriage and even other relationships are the things that we don't really expect. My guest is Bob Lapine. Bob Lapine is the author of a new book, Building a Stronger Marriage, The Path to Oneness. And before the break, Bob, we were we were talking about those sorts of things that you just have to learn about. And, you know, some of them are, are lighthearted, you know, it, that you learn about your, your spouse, that they grew up with, with different things. They have different things in their background that lead to expectations of the new spouse that may not be realistic. Uh, in, my, in my marriage with Christy, one of the things we really had to deal with was taking the trash out uh, for her she would want the trash out weeks in advance if possible. But for me, I'm completely happy getting the trash out a half a second before the arm of the truck actually comes down to grab it. Uh, I'll, I'm running out there in my underwear and get it out if I forgot. I don't care as long as it gets done in time. But, uh, Bob, there's more serious things that people often bring into marriage in their background, trauma or sin or other things. How do we have the conversations with our spouse as those things come up, either while we're, we're dating and premarital, or often we don't even realize it until we've been married several years. How do we bring those things up and, and talk through them in a graceful way? Yeah, that that's a, a challenging assignment. And let me just say about some of these seemingly trivial things, one of the breakthroughs for Marianne and me was when we came to the recognition that different uh, doesn't always mean wrong. Sometimes it just means different. And we have to allow for the fact that uh, our, our choice about how the toilet paper roll goes or how the toothpaste tube gets squeezed or all of these different things, we can't, we have different approaches, but it really, it doesn't matter. They're, they're differences and they're not, they're, there's no Bible verse to say this is how these things should be done. So we've had to learn to love and value and appreciate the different perspectives we have, and not to, to to recognize that to have a difference is some people escalate a minor difference into uh, a major issue, and mm. I think it's showing insecurity in other areas of their marriage that that, that have to be addressed. But you, you talked about trauma. I mean, when people come into marriage with some area of their life that's been affected by deep, profound loss or grief experience that's been a part of their past, uh, that's going to be an area in their life that is like a, uh, it's like a, a, a sore arm or a, a sore leg. There's a limp that comes with it. And you get near that tender, vulnerable, wounded area in a relationship, and they're going to recoil, they're going to pull back, they're going to snap, they're going to be protective. Um, so oftentimes you may be talking about uh, something that seems innocent to you, and you watch your spouse react in a in a way that seems disproportionate to the conversation. I think you have to stop and go, hang on, there's something here that mm. needs needs some exploration. We we need to dig a little deeper, and we may need to get some help. We may need to get a counselor or a pastor or an older couple who's been through some of this and just help us begin to walk through uh, some of these areas. I'm thinking particularly, Scott, of um, people I know who have experienced childhood sexual abuse. Yes. 
And if, if that's been a part of your background, and for for many women, then the last number I've seen is somewhere between um, between thirty and forty percent of women who are stepping into a marriage had unwanted sexual touching happen happening when they were a child. Uh, when when that happens to you as a child, then to try to have a healthy marital intimacy, we're again we're getting near an area of your life where there there's tenderness, where there's there's a lot of trauma, and it's no wonder that there can be uh, a reaction against marital intimacy when we're talking about an area of your past that that's traumatic. And I think a lot of couples are saying, can we just avoid that? Can we just, mm. if we'll just stay away from that area, then everything will be okay. Do you think but that that's because our relationship where we just can't stay away from it, right? Do, yes. Do you think that's because people are afraid or is it more of a sense of, of shame or embarrassment or, or just the fear maybe that there's nothing you can do to resolve it? I, I think for some people, um, there may be there may be a shame component added to it. Um, it. One of one of the issues I talk about in build a stronger marriage is the idea that we bring shame and guilt with us into a marriage, and if that's not been resolved, if we haven't understood how the gospel uh, addresses shame and guilt, then that can that can be an influence in our marriage. But I think for a lot of traumatic events. It's not a case of shame and guilt. If you were a victim of of sexual abuse, you you may have a shame reaction, which has to be uh, understood and dealt with. But but it's a bigger thing. It's just you you know that you're still weak and wounded in that area, and somebody gets near that area, and you're just gonna you're gonna say, "Don't come near mm. where it hurts too bad." And and this is where again we need help to to help heal the woundedness and to help get to wholeness. This is why I love the fact that the gospel is all about bringing beauty from ashes. Yes. Because we, we all bring our, our bag of ashes with us into our marriage, our suitcase full of ashes into our marriage. And we think, is there any help for all of this? Yes, there is. But it takes some work and some time, and it takes the application of the gospel and believing the gospel in order for the healing to happen in our lives. You're listening to Southern California Live. My guest is Bob Lapine, the author of Building a Stronger Marriage. And um, Bob, you you mentioned a statistic a minute ago. I think you said 40% of people are carrying in some kind of sexual trauma maybe to, to marriage. And I, I wanted people to hear that because I, I do want people to know who are listening to us and saying, well, this is me, but I've never wanted to talk about it that you're not alone, that you're not right. like you're not even part of just a small, tiny group of people that unfortunately this is something that goes on all the time, but you should also know that there is definitely hope for you to move through this and understand the grace that we have through Christ, that there is no condemnation through Christ and that your partner, your spouse can understand that as well. I, I think that's, that's so important. And I think w- when you're facing this kind of a, an area in your life where there has been profound hurt and where there's still tenderness and there's emotional soreness there, you, you can either say, well, I'll just live with this for the rest of my life and try to avoid that, and, and that's going to be an unhelpful strategy, or you can say, we need to get a specialist to look at this, and it may hurt for a little bit, but we can get that bone reset, and we can get things functioning the way 
they're supposed to be functioning and life can be what it was designed to be rather than trying to figure out how to accommodate my my woundedness and just uh, stay away from it as much as I can. So my, my hope is that with a book like this, with some pastoral help and counseling, couples can begin to resolve issues that they have just tried to tried to set off in the corner and say, let's just not talk about that. The book is called Build a Stronger Marriage, The Path to Oneness by Bob Lapine. And, uh, you know, maybe, you know, I'm thinking as you're talking, some people are, I think, even afraid to take the, the first step. Is that one of the great things about this book, that maybe it would be a first step to going and getting help or talking to your pastor or getting a counselor if you need it? I think a lot of people are afraid to come out and deal with that. Will the book help with that? That's my hope, is that uh, the ideal situation would be for an older couple and a younger couple to get together and to go chapter by chapter through this book so that you can understand uh, what you're experiencing in marriage is not unique. See, because we stay isolated, because, because we think we're the only ones having any of these problems, all those other couples that we see at church or wherever we're going, they don't look like they're having any marriage mm-hmm. problems. It looks like we're the only ones having problems. And of course, they don't see our problems because we put on a, a good face when we get to church. If we can get together with one another and say, you know, I, we've had issues like that in our marriage, it can just help take the pressure off and we can feel like, okay, maybe it's not as bad as it, it feels like. I remember when we were raising our teenagers, uh, we would go to our small group meeting at church on Sunday night and I remember driving over to our small group meeting feeling like uh, this has been a terrible weekend and our kids are all going to be in prison someday because they're just they're out of control and we don't know what we're doing as parents. And then we would get with our small group and we would start to talk about what everybody had been going through that week. And I would come home feeling like, OK, everybody's having to deal with this with their teenagers. We're not alone in this situation. In fact, some people's situation was was harder than ours. And it just gave us a fresh sense that we can stay in the fight, we can keep working on it, we can keep doing better, and uh, that God's with us in the midst of all that. I hope with this book, we can do that for couples in their marriages. You're listening to Southern California Live. My guest is Bob Lapine. He's talking about his new book, Building, Build a Stronger Marriage, The Path to Oneness. And uh, uh, Bob, are you able to stay on one more one more segment? I am with you as long as you want me here, Scott. (laughs) All right. Well, we'll do that. Then I'll take another break, and then uh, we'll come back and uh, finish our conversation. You're listening to Southern California Live. And when we come back, we'll encourage you more on how you can build a stronger marriage from the start. And as as you're married now and you're thinking, Bob, I want to ask you about, you were mentioning how you date your wife now. What's a great way for couples who've been married a while to date and even have some of these conversations as they come up and maybe some dates and ideas that you've experienced that help with that. This is Southern California Live. I'm Scott Furrow. I'll be back as the Thursday edition continues. Too nervous to go live on the radio with Scott Furrow? Then share your thoughts on the SoCal Live voicemail at 213-537-3812. That's 213-537-3812. Welcome back to Southern California Live. That was comedian, Christian comedian Tim Hawkins, who has some just funny things about marriage, the things that you don't say to your wife. But I'm here with Bob Lapine. He is best known maybe to you as the 
a longtime host and co-host of Family Life Today. He's the on-air announcer uh, for Truth for Life with Alistair Begg, and he's the teaching pastor at Redeemer Community Church in Little Rock, Arkansas, and the author of a new book, Building a Stronger Marriage, The Path to Oneness. Bob, what are some things that we should say to our wife or to our husband, our spouse? We've been married a while. We're dealing with the things that that creep up on us that we didn't expect. You mentioned that you you go on date nights with your wife, I think. And and Christy and I struggle with with getting out there and having real date nights that's just about each other. Sometimes we get a date night and it's about going somewhere where we can take a nap (laughs) and and get a break, right? We got kids. We're both busy. We're tired. And uh, what are, what's some advice that you have for married couples to push through some of the challenges that come along the way? Well, I, th- I think we have to have realistic expectations that our date nights are oftentimes uh, a, a, an executive meeting of the family, uh, the, the family council. So it's mm-hmm. the CEO and the COO who are getting together and we're getting out our calendars and we're talking about what's coming up and what our priorities are. And Marianne and I still do this even in the empty nest years where we uh, sit down once a week and we're, we're conferring, okay, what's coming up and what are our plans and what are the kids, who's doing what for Thanksgiving and where are we going to be? And you just have to deal with the, the mechanical part of the, the relationship. You have to do the work of communication cool. on those things. Well, it's right. And, and most of that is is functional communication as opposed to relational or emotional communication. So we have to figure out how we're going to schedule uh, other times for some of that. And that may mean it's a, a day's drive rather than a date night. You may have to take uh, a Saturday and just go for a long drive and see a part of the state that you haven't seen before. But on the way there and on the way back, uh, be able to have some organic conversations that are going to come up or take a book like this in the car with you and uh, read through a chapter together and see what conversation comes up as you're as you're in the midst of other things or running errands as, as you do them. Uh, I, I have some friends who would say once a week there needs to be some kind of a connection point that may be an hour, an hour and a half. That may be all you get, especially with kids around the house and the cost of babysitting, all of that. But then once a quarter, you probably need a day where the two of you can get away for the day and you can do a little more in-depth conversation, not only about priorities, but figure out a way to have some fun in there to do an activity that you would both enjoy. Marianne and I recently did a sunset kayak cruise. Now, we're, look, we're in our 60s, right? Uh-huh. And she said, let's go kayaking on, on the river. And I'm thinking, this is what young people do. But we got out there, and we had a two-hour kayak cruise, and, and driving there and driving back and just the experience of doing it together is a part of, those are shared memories, a part of how you bond together. And then I, my friends also say, you, you need once a year where you get away for a couple of nights. And I know parents are thinking, how do you do that in childcare? You find a way to do it. You call some other family that's got kids your age and say, look, can we trade this? We'll take your kids one weekend. You take our kids one weekend. You get away for one weekend. We'll get away. Call grandma and grandpa. Have them come and stay for a couple of days. But you need uh, – here's what I've found. It's not until the kind of the first 24 hours have passed when Marianne and I are away that we start to – 
relax enough to be yeah. able to have some of the conversations that we're just too busy to have the rest of the time. So that's why you've got to have some of those rhythms built in to your marriage. And you talked about the things you do say, Scott, in the, in the last part of this book, uh, I talked about the, the habits that are the, uh, the best practices for couples whose marriages are thriving, because we can spend a whole lot of time talking about how you fix what's wrong, but we have to make sure that we're also building in uh, what are the positive uh, kinds of practices that are going to cause a marriage to thrive. Your last and part so of I the think. book uh, talks about those practices, extravagant love, enthusiastic encouragement, common convictions. Uh, what yeah, are some I examples think, of those things? Those areas. Yeah, so, so things like enthusiastic encouragement. We have to be cheerleaders mm-hmm. with one another. Intentional, purposeful. Um, Marianne knows how critical, how important it is for me to, to hear her cheering me on, even when maybe I'm not doing great. I have mm-hmm. a friend who was a high school cheerleader, and she said, our team was terrible. We didn't win any games. And, and in the fourth quarter, when the team is down by three touchdowns and you're out there shouting, you can do it, you can do it. She goes, we're, we know they can't do it. You know, we're watching them. They can't do it. But we still cheered them on. And we, when they came off the field after losing by three touchdowns, we were still there cheering them, saying, next week you'll get them. Or, you know, uh, you, you, you played really hard. We need to be doing that with one another. We need to be the, the cheerleaders and the encouragers. The Bible calls us, encourage yes. one another, strengthen one another, bear one another's burdens. And I think I think encouragement, that's just one area. Couples who, who go the distance and who thrive spend a lot of time encouraging one another and uh, supporting and believing in one another. That is excellent advice. And, you know, I've, I've learned that sometimes even if you don't feel like it, if you just force yourself to say it, it helps break through that. Yeah. 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 C.S. Lewis said the best way to acquire a virtue is to pretend like you already have it. That's right. (laughs) And so he was was saying, just just get in the rhythm. You may, you know, we we say fake it till you make it. And and I would say nobody wants faking. But by the same token, there are some things that we can be doing as a discipline that will later grow into a habit and will become a healthy part of our marriage relationship. You know, lastly, in the book, you talk about a best practice of common convictions, and this has a lot to do, I think, with the restoration and, and the continual growth and joy in marriage is focusing on our hope in the right place in Jesus Christ. It really does, and we can get divided over all kinds of things. I remember watching an old Fred Astaire, Ginger Rogers movie where they're out doing a dance routine on roller skates, and they sit down and they sing the song, you know, you say potato and I say potato, you say tomato and I say tomato. Let's call the whole thing off. Mm. They, they, it's kind of a funny thing. We, we don't see anything the same way. We should call the whole thing off. Well, those really are trivial things. But couples whose marriages thrive have got their core convictions that they keep coming back to and say, you may say tomato and I may say tomato, but we both say uh, Jesus. We, we both say God's glory is what matters to us. We both say that the Bible is important. And when you're in a marriage where there's not a shared spiritual foundation, uh, that's when it can be, be tough, because the thing that matters most to you in your life is not something you share with your partner. And that's another book or another broadcast for another day. But 
for couples who have that shared commitment to Christ, we need to make sure that that is the sun in the center of our marital solar system and that everything else is revolving around that. And so we see things differently with regard to smaller things. Let's come back to what we agree on, and that is what's most important to us, and that is that God would be honored and glorified in our married relationship. Bob, that's excellent advice, and I want to thank you for being on our our program today. Uh, It's been a joy to talk to you, and I want to encourage everybody to get uh, Bob Lapine's new book. It's called Building a Stronger Marriage, The Path to Oneness. And uh, like you mentioned, it's not real long. It's something that you can get through, but it will take you through a lot of the things that I was saying to you earlier. I think that it's some of what you address in that book is unique with uh, a lot of the marriage books and things that people say. There's some key nuggets in there that I think will really help strengthen a lot of us just from uh, wherever we find ourselves now at whatever stage in marriage. Well, that's my hope, and that's my prayer. And we sit down to write a book. You want to say something that, that maybe folks haven't heard said before. So after 28 years of talking about marriage and family on Family Life Today, I thought, I've heard a few things that helped me. Maybe I can pass some of this along to some others. Bob, what's the best place to get the book? It's available at Amazon and other places like that. What's the best place? It is, uh, you know, wherever you go to get books, you should be able to find it there. And so uh, I'll just send folks wherever they, they, they look for good books. All right. Once again, the name of the book, the name of the book is Build a Stronger Marriage, The Path to Oneness by Bob Lapine. Bob Lapine, thank you for joining us today on Southern California Live. You're always welcome on the show. If you got something you want to talk about, even if it's just a, a new pop song or an old one you want to talk about, or a new cheesecake at the Cheesecake Factory you want to share your joy about. The next time I head to the factory, I'll give you a call, and we'll we'll talk about it for the whole hour. How's that sound? <laughs> right, that sounds good. Bob, thanks for joining us today. Thanks, Scott. All right. My guest was Bob Lapine. You know, he, he has so much uh, to offer, and if you want to get the podcast of this hour, uh, I encourage you to do that. You can go to our station website and uh, look for Southern California Live, and you get the podcast there. Our, we're also on Spotify now. If you get your your podcast on Spotify, go to Spotify and uh, look for Southern California Live, or just type in Scott Furrow, and uh, it will show up right there. And uh, and maybe there's somebody that you know who you just thought, hey, you know, if in your mind you're thinking of somebody else, uh, not your spouse, you should you should share this with your spouse if you want to go through it together. Don't say, hey, honey, you need this. Maybe there's another couple you know, and uh, this book and this conversation will help them. Send them to uh, the link of the podcast uh, for this show. If you go to our our website, you will also be able to join us at Southern California Live for the ferocious Election Day special. The election is just a few weeks, well, a few weeks, a few days away, and uh, we give results. It's nonpartisan. It's a lot of fun. We get in the drama of the evening. Check it out. Go to our our website here on the station website. Click on the ferocious Election Day special link, or go to ferocious.com, f u r r o w c i o u s dot com. We'll be back with hour two. We're going to talk about Elon Musk sinks and the expectations that we have in our life as the Thursday edition of Southern California Live continues. I'm Scott Furr. I'll see you in just a couple of minutes for hour two. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.